Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a multi-site church longing for God's kingdom to come in order to restore the city and renew the nation of Wales. During the coronavirus outbreak, we are not meeting on a Sunday, but you can stay connected with us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Each Sunday, we will be streaming a full-length service and providing resources for the kids. And across the week, we're putting up loads of content. You can find out more on our social media or at cardiffvineyard.org forward slash online church. Here's this week's talk from our associate pastor, Alice Meads. Hi, hello. We are currently in a series in the New Testament book of James. It was written by James, who was the brother of Jesus and who was also one of the key leaders in the early church. And we've called this whole sermon series Real Faith. You know, we've been looking at, as we've been going through this book, um, what are some of the markers that James identifies um, that should be present in a people of faith? And today we are in James chapter 3, and I've called this talk Real Faith Speaks Life. And we'll see as we go through these verses that James challenges us as as followers of Jesus, um, challenges us that our word should reflect both the life that we found in him and also that our words should bring life to those around us. And James has some pretty strong stuff to say about this topic. If you've been with us throughout this sermon series so far, you'll know that James packs a punch with his words, you know, he doesn't hold back. Um, and I hope today that we'll see as we look at these verses that what James says has the power to be deeply transformational both on an individual level and if we really grab hold of these truths um, in a much bigger way as well. So buckle up and let's jump in. James chapter 3 verses 1 to, 10, uh, 1 to 12. He says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Pause there. <laughs> Gulp. Anyway, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James's overriding point as we look at these verses is this that words are powerful. You know, if, if you think back to some of the best moments of your life, they probably involve words. Words like, I do, or I love you, or a deep, profound conversation that you had with a friend. Or think of your most painful, difficult memories. Maybe where, where someone has said something to you and you felt like you just died a death inside in that moment. Words have the power of life and death. 
What we say matters. Words have the power to incite hatred, anger and violence. And they also have the power to bring peace, to build bridges, to show compassion and mercy. Words are powerful. And that's why he starts off by saying in verse one that teachers, those of us that have influence, leaders, will be held to a higher account. And we should be. Words matter. And perhaps in this moment in history, we should be even more acutely aware of this. You know, and in our cultural moment, words are not just those that are spoken, are they? But they are words that are tweeted, words that are posted, words that the whole world can see. Our world is currently looking for people who will speak words of life. And as followers of Jesus, this is our moment. You know, we can speak life into a world wanting to hear. This might be a kind word. It might be a word of friendship. This might be a word that speaks out against injustice or speaks a word of reconciliation. It might be a word of salvation, sharing the good news of Jesus. This passage tells us words are powerful. It calls us to personal transformation, you know, to become mature enough as followers of Jesus, to learn to control what we say, you know, that we learn to speak carefully and purposefully, and then to become people of transformation, to be transformed and then to bring transformation. People that bring life where there is death, light where there is darkness. So first we'll start with personal transformation, the call to maturity in what we say. In these first few verses, James makes this point that for a relatively small part of our body, our tongue has a big impact, disproportionately so, you know, and he talks about a bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a boat, both of which steer, um, steer the thing to where it wants, steer you to where you want to go. You know, they are both small things that have big impact, aren't they? You know, through them, you are able to gain control over something much bigger and more powerful, a horse or a boat. You know, you can master a horse by gaining control of the bit and you can master a boat by gaining, uh, gaining control of the rudder. And James is saying this truth. You can gain control over all your being, your thoughts, your actions, that you can see huge amount of personal transformation if you can learn to master your tongue, if you learn to have control of your words instead of being controlled by them. He says this in verse two, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So why is this? Why does learning to have this level of control over what we say, why does this have the capacity to be so transformational? It's something, I think, about the way in which what we say reveals about what's going on in our hearts. You know, Jesus himself spoke about this in Luke chapter 6. He says this in verse 45. A good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I love that, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our words reveal the state of our heart. And the kind of the picture I have, it's like a gauge in your car, on the dashboard of your car, telling you what's really going on inside the engine. You know, that is the picture for what our words can do. You know, our words reveal what is going on in our hearts, what our heart is full of, you know, the extent to which your heart, your soul is orientated towards Jesus, to ex the extent to which you've given him your heart. Think about your words this week. Just think about it for a second. Just pause. 
Think about your words this week. What have they shown about what is going on in your heart at the moment? What is your heart currently full of? Examining our words, as we begin to examine our words, it forces us to ask questions like this. You know, why did I feel so insecure in that moment and talk that person down? Why did I lie, misrepresent the situation to make myself sound better? Or why did I speak so angrily this week to those that I love? Why did I get really defensive when someone dared hint that I might have done something less than perfectly? You know, I'm, I'm an achiever by nature. I like to do well. <laughs> um, and I have to watch for those moments in my life where I might kind of uh, be tempted to speak defensively in a moment. You know, a few weeks ago, pre-lockdown, um, James um, came to my office and we had a conversation where he shared an area of my workload that he felt needed a bit of attention and improvement. <laughs> and in that conversation, I got really defensive. And after I'd left, I thought about it for a minute and I realised I had to go and apologise. I found him and I said, sorry, you know, sorry for being an idiot. And he was very gracious. Um, and he was totally right, you know. Um, but for me, reflecting on a moment like that, it was like seeing a warning light on the dashboard that said that I needed to go to Jesus and examine my heart before him and to remind myself that I am not defined by what I do. I'm not defined by my achievements. Ultimately, the question worth asking is this, where in the depths of your heart have you still not understood who you are in Jesus? How loved and valuable you are to him. Where is there still fear, you know, fear that he won't provide or fear that he is not good enough? And, you know, as I talk about this, as we think about our words, you know, the aim here isn't to create um, a sense of condemnation. Um, instead, it is to allow for the Holy Spirit's conviction. And those two things are very, very different. You know, condemnation, a voice of condemnation is from the enemy. And he will come and he will tell you that you're rubbish, that you're stupid, that it's unforgivable, that you're a failure. That is very different. And in those moments when we, if we hear a voice like that, we're tempted to hide from God. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is the opposite of this. It always takes us back to God, back into the arms of Jesus. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit is always an invitation. It's an invitation into a life more full than it already is. And in this case, in this example in James chapter 3, it's an invitation to a life where we're not enslaved or controlled by the words that we say. You know, when you just kind of say something, you think, why did I say that? I just oh, I wish I could take that back. It's a, it's a, the, the invitation here is to a life free from those moments when our insecurities, our fears, our anger, our selfishness just kind of come out with very little control. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is an invitation into the transformation process that is discipleship to Jesus. It starts with grace, you know, allowing Jesus, our teacher, who spoke the greatest words that have ever been spoken, allowing his words to be spoken over us, to draw close to him where he will remind us who we are and how loved we are. That is what the conviction of the Holy Spirit does. It's worth saying from the beginning, you know, we can't learn to control our words in our own strength. James makes this really clear, doesn't he? Verses 7 to 8, he says, you know, that human beings, we've learned to control a whole load of different animals. But he says this, no human being can tame the tongue. The process of transformation is driven by the Holy Spirit. It's a partnering with him. It's letting him do that deep work in our hearts, that identity work in our hearts, and then letting him empower us to go out and start to walk this out. To equip us with all that we need, the self-control that we need. 
You know, in verse 2, James admits that as Christians we will stumble. And then he uses a word like perfect. And you're like, oh, are we aiming? Is that what, is that what, what that the aim is? Perfection. It can feel off-putting. But what you, you can translate this word, teleos, as this, complete or mature. You know, that is the goal that James is setting here, to maturity in Jesus. That as mature believers, we will have control over what we say, that we will speak in a way that is careful and purposeful, in a way that brings life. So as we start to walk this out with the Spirit, it's a sharpening process, you know, it's moments where we say kind of no to sin and yes to Jesus. Those moments that are like a death to self. Um, let me kind of show you, just to unpack this a bit, what this looked like, what this has looked like in my own life in this um, area of words. Now, I grew up in a household where it was okay to lie if, if it saved you money and if it made life easier for you. You know that kind of classic, yes, my child is under the age of five if it means they can get in for free. <laughs> you know, Alice, bob down a bit, look a bit smaller. I swear my mum tried to get away with that until I was at least 12. <laughs> I grew up in a household like that, and um, the effect on me growing up was that I wasn't always sure if my mum was telling me the exact truth or not. And as a small child, this used to make me feel anxious, and that things were out of control. So I decided that when I had kids that I would not lie to them. You know, it's really easy as a parent to lie to your kids, isn't it? Because they'll believe you. <laughs> That's why it's easy. Um, and we lie to our kids really easily to make life easier in the moment, to save an argument. And then we wonder why they start lying to us. You know, we say things like, no, you know, the sweet shop is closed, sorry. Or no, they don't make that toy anymore, or whatever it is. So I've made this choice. And this choice makes life harder for me at times, you know? Um, those moments when I have to say to my kids, yes, there are more biscuits, you're just not allowed to have any. <laughs> moments like that, you know, but in those moments, it's a moment when I die to myself, when I say no to my natural, corner-cutting, sinful self, and yes to Jesus. And learning to do this, you know, a small thing, but each time you do this, it's like you build a muscle memory for next time. Moments where you choose to hold on to your tongue, to not say that negative thing about someone. There are moments of saying yes to Jesus, to his way, to the way in which he tells us to live. And these small moments, if we allow them, they can slowly, over time, orientate us like a rudder on a boat back towards Jesus, towards facing Jesus, to living a life pointing in the right direction. So what would it look like for you to start to do this week? You know, what way can you have, can you, empowered by the Holy Spirit, start to take more control over the words you say this week? You know, is it to be entirely open and honest in how you speak? Is it to, to hold back from speaking negatively? What would that look like for you this week to be like, actually, every time I'm tempted to say something negative about someone, I will hold back. I will hold my tongue in that moment and say nothing. You know, maybe it's, we looked in James 1, maybe it's to listen better and say less. That is a great spiritual practice maybe for you this week. How could you step out this week empowered with the self-control that is a fruit of the Spirit? How could you step out in this way this week? So this passage calls us to personal transformation, to become mature as followers of Jesus, to have control over what we say, to speak carefully and purposefully. But it's also um, the invitation to become a people of transformation. People that bring life where there is death. You know, James goes on in this passage, doesn't he, to describe the great destruction that the tongue can bring. He says this, 
picking it up in verse 5, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You know, our words can be hugely destructive for us and for those around us. And it says, it makes clear here that the enemy can use them for his purposes to bring around wars, division, discord. Proverbs 18.21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. And that is the choice that we have when we speak. The power to bring life and the power to bring death. And James uses here a picture of salt water versus fresh water. In my early 20s, I went out to Israel-Palestine um, for a few summers in a row whilst I was a student. And on one trip, I remember visiting the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea isn't a sea. It's an um, inland lake and it doesn't have any source of water coming into it. And it's at the lowest point on Earth. So because of that, it is really, really salty. <laughs> and I remember visiting it one, uh, one of these trips and it was like 40 degree heat that day. It was really intensely hot. And I remember kind of getting there, getting off the coach, being hit by this wave of heat. And there were kind of flies everywhere. There was no shade around. There were kind of people trying to send you camel trips. It was just this really intense experience. And all I wanted, all you wanted as you were in that scene was to have a lovely cold drink of water or to jump into a cold spring or something like that. But neither of those options were available. All I had was like some lukewarm water in my drinks canister and then the saltiest water on earth in front of me. It was like deeply dissatisfying. I still literally feel thirsty as I think about it. So we went to the Dead Sea and then on that same trip we went to the Sea of Galilee. Now that's a kind of similar in that it's a lake, not a sea. It's kind of misnamed as it were. Um, but it is very, very different. It was beautiful. It was full of fish and life. It was serene. It was, there was kind of these beautiful shady trees that you could sit under. I remember kind of spending some time on the kind of the lakeside there. I spent some, some time with Jesus, reading my Bible. Um, it is the, the largest source locally for drinking water. These two seas, two lakes, but very, very different. And that is the comparison that James gives us in this moment between salt water and fresh water. You know, I think our world is thirsty at the moment. And as followers of Jesus, this is our moment to offer fresh water. You know, words that speak of God's kindness, words that speak of reconciliation, words that speak out against injustice, against racism and inequality, words that speak of his saving grace, his expansive love, of the life that only God can bring. You know, unlike the words of humankind, which James depicts so fully here, doesn't he? You know, this devastating forest fire from just one spark. Unlike those kind of words, God's words bring life. God creates the entire world in Genesis, doesn't he? In Genesis 1, he creates the entire world teeming with life, full of wonder and majesty, with just words, with his words alone. In Genesis 1, God speaks and it happens. With his words, he brings life and he's calling us as followers of Jesus to do the same. And I want to finish up, if I may, by looking at one particular way which we can start to do this. You know, James kind of finishes in these verses by looking at the theme of blessing and cursing. He says this in verse 10, out of our lips can come both blessing 
and cursing. Your translation might have praising there, but you can translate it as the word blessing. And I've, you know, I've, I've uh, used that translation here because blessing and cursing is a theme throughout the whole Bible. God blessed the earth when he made it. He said it was good. God blessed Jesus on the day of his baptism. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus blesses the disciples uh, before he returns to heaven. That is the final thing he does is to bless his disciples. And, you know, we can easily kind of chuck a word around like blessing, can't we? Um, we're in danger, though, of making it this nice church word that none of us actually understand. You know, many of us will have heard that song recently, The Blessing, based on number six. You know, I know when I heard it and heard those words and let them kind of be sung over me, as it were, as a blessing, I was deeply broken and deeply moved. But do we actually know what blessing means? <laughs> the Old Testament word it's translating is barak which means to speak out the intention of God, to speak out the intention of God. And so when we bless something, we speak out God's intentions in that moment. In that moment, we get to co-create with God. We get to, as we speak life into a situation, we get to co-create with God as we speak life into a situation. John Tyson defines blessing as this. He says, blessing is the prophetic projection of the goodness and purposes of God. You know, it's a moment when we see something in someone, you know, who as verse nine tells us, as human beings have been made in God's likeness. We see something of God in them and we call it out. I think of it as like prophetic encouragement, you know, encouragement in its truest, biggest, deepest sense. This prophetic encouragement. When you see something in someone and you almost like reach in and you call it out, you call it forth, you bring it to life. You know, many years ago, a ch my church leader saw me, you know, a teenager from a nun church going background. He saw me, he saw leadership in me and he called it out in that moment and brought it to life. Some of you will be where you're at today because people have people in your life, they've seen something in you that God has put there and they've reached in and they've called it out. They've called it forth in that moment of blessing, in that moment of deep encouragement. What would it look like to be a people of blessing as a church that see what God is doing in someone, who see God give an identity in someone and call it out? You know that with our words, we would bless people we would encourage people that we would bring life. You know, I think a community like that is kind of inherently transformational, a community that does that. And it's transformational both within the community and way beyond the community. So there's kind of blessing on one hand and then cursing is opposite on the other. Now cursing doesn't just mean, it's not just the kind of American word for swearing and it's, it's not um, kind of just a magical thing, though it can be used in both those contexts. But here you can translate it as to speak doom over something, to speak doom, to speak doom over someone, to speak death over someone. You know, a good uh, image that comes to mind or a good story that comes to mind of the New Testament is that moment when Jesus curses a fig tree. You know, it's a strange story. It's in, uh, where is it? Mark chapter 11, if you want to go and read it. And he curses this fig tree. And then when him and his disciples walk past it the next day, his disciples see that this fig tree has just withered. It's withered. And that is what a curse does. That is what words spoken in that way over someone do. It withers you as a person. Some of you will be able to recall words spoken over you that have withered you 
that you still carry with you. Maybe they were spoken of you years and years ago. You know, words like you're nothing, or you're a failure, or you're ugly. Maybe if you look honestly and closely at the way that you live your life right now, maybe you can see that actually you are still living trying to prove that person wrong, trying to shake off those words that were spoken over you. Or maybe you are still living withered by those words spoken over you. You still live as if they were true. You know, in my early 20s, um, I found myself in a conversation with a group of girls uh, one day and we were talking about boys that we fancied. <laughs> this is pre-marriage, pre-mat. You know, it was a very highbrow conversation, obviously. And over the course of this discussion, these friends, they kind of ended up saying to me that as a strong-minded woman, as a leader, that I may struggle to find someone that would want to marry me. And I remember the weight of those words, the impact of those words, the kind of death that I died in that moment, the withering in that moment. And you know what, to be fair, they found me the next day and they said they apologised and, and reflected that, that in that moment they were probably more saying something about them, bringing up their stuff, than they were something about me. But I carried those words with me for years. You know, Matt will tell you that when I first met him and we first, you know, started getting to know each other, I genuinely thought that I would have to be single for the rest of my life. And even, you know, as a married woman, I remember that feeling, the impact of those words, that I might be too much for people, that, um, that as a leader, I might be too strong-willed, that I should try and tone things down at times. You know, it was only really recently, you know, with the help and guidance of a spiritual director, did I fully process those words? Did I fully shake those words off? You know, did I, kind of the withering, did I kind of stand up and take it off me, take those off me? letting Jesus speak his truth over me. And that is the invitation for you today. If that is you, if you are still living under the curse of something that someone has said to you, withered, or maybe desperately just trying to prove them wrong, let the words of Jesus speak over you today, that you are his child in whom he is well pleased, that he loves you, he loves you enough to die for you on a cross. That is how much he loves you. Receive these words today. Let them have power over you. Let them speak to you and transform you. Our words are powerful. They show our hearts the extent to which we've understood the life that we found in Jesus. And if we let them, they can lead us to a place of deep personal transformation. You know, as we empower by the Spirit, as we step out and start to take control over what we say, instead of being controlled by what we say. And we get to be people who bring transformation who co-create with God to bring things back to life, to see where someone is withered and bring them back to life, to speak life where we see death, to speak justice where there is injustice, to see something buried deep in, some, in someone, something of their God-given identity, to reach in and call it forth in a deeply encouraging way. We are called to release the blessing of God wherever we go. Real faith speaks life. I just want to pray as we finish. I'd like to particularly to pray for anyone here that is still living under words that have been spoken over you, words that are not the words of Jesus over you. I'd love just to pray, maybe just, you know, I know it can feel awkward, you know, you're in your home, you're sitting on your sofa, maybe you're with your family right now, but just have permission to have a little bit of space and put your hands out and say, and receive these words of Jesus. Just close your eyes, receive these words of Jesus. 
but you are his child, in whom he is well pleased. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us today with a sense of who you've created us to be. And Lord, I just pray in this moment that you would give us, um, by your Spirit, that you would equip us with self-control. You know, a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. That we would be a people that are careful and purposeful in what we say. That we would speak life where there is death. That we would encourage those around us. that we would call forth God-given identity in people. And Lord, that our words would both transform us and the world around us. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, you can tune in to our YouTube channel on Sundays from 10.30 for our online church or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram to hear from us throughout the week. We would love to help you find out more about Jesus or grow in your faith. So if you have any questions, get in touch on social media or email info at cardiffvineyard.org. If you're local to Cardiff, we would love for you to get involved in a small group, which is just a small group of people meeting throughout the week across the city. Of course, meeting online at the moment. They are the heartbeat of this church and now more than ever at this time of social distancing, they are so important for you to stay connected to church and grow in your faith. Head to our website cardiffvineyard.org and hit the small groups tab at the top of the page to find out more. If you're listening from further afield, thanks so much for tuning in. We're really glad you're here. But we would also love to help you get connected with a local church where you are. So email us at info at cardiffvineyard.org and we would love to help. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.